You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest preaching for us for our revival services. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truths from His Word today. A sweet spirit here tonight. I thank God for that. As Johnny was singing that song, I thought about a story that has been attributed to Abraham Lincoln. I, I don't know the validity of that, but he, he has it attributed to him. You'll be finding your places in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, please. And uh, the story was that Lincoln, as a, a young man, had uh, a little money saved. And uh, one day he was out. Uh, in a public square, and there was a slave auction taking place. And there was a young woman on the slave block, and uh, there were rude and crude comments being made about her, and uh, they uh, were bidding on her, and, and the men were making comments to each other, and, and she stood with her head down, and finally Lincoln bought her. He paid an exorbitant price. He paid three times the going rate. And she didn't know him. And when they, they had her hands tied with a rope and they brought her down and they put the rope in his hands. <clears throat> and uh, she looked at him with disdain and she spat in his face. And she figured that he had the same intent for her that the other men did or many of them in the crowd. And he wiped the spittle from his face and his beard, and he said, come and go with me. And they went down to a place of business where the transactions were taking place, and he had paid the money for her. And then he paid just a little bit more that he had, and he received some papers. And uh, he handed the papers to this young woman. She said, what are these? He said, they're your freedom papers. He said, you're free to go. You can go anywhere, be anything that you want to be. I've bought your freedom, and you're free to go. You can go anywhere. And immediately her heart was smitten, and she looked at him and said, I think I'll just go with you. Shouldn't that be the desire of every child of God? If we recognize in the least amount the awful price that has been paid for our redemption and we realize how merciful that God has been to us. There's, there's nobody here tonight. The purest lady here tonight is not worthy of heaven, much less the rest of us. How good God has been in extending grace to us. And so that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tonight as we've been looking at these first few verses in this letter that Paul had written from uh, Ephesus and he's, uh, he's going to address something now tonight that goes along with all that we've been singing about, I believe. Let's take up the account in chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk 
and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now, it doesn't say how big it is or how much it is. It just says of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. Let's pray. Father, we approach tonight the throne of grace, Lord, because you have bid us to pray. And Father, you have given us the great privilege of prayer that we come, Lord, certainly not in our own name, but we come in the high and lofty and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. We come to you tonight, Lord, because we are absolutely incapable of doing anything other than failing without you. We pray tonight, Father, that the text might come alive to our thinking, that our hearts and our minds might be open, Lord, to the Word of God. Lord, in this hour, we pray that you will do the deep work that needs to be done in every heart. Revive us, O oh God, we pray. We ask for our country, Lord. We believe you have given us a little space for grace. We pray tonight, Father, you will help us as your children to be good stewards. Save the lost. Draw back the backslidden. Revive your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is going to deal here at the heart of a problem that I see in American churches. And Brother Nono, I'm very interested and very glad to hear the burden that God has put on your heart for the, the islands of the Philippines. 
I think that we have failed as the people of God over the last several decades in discipling. I think we've done pretty well in, in the distribution of the gospel. We could have done better, but we've done pretty well. The church is on every corner in America almost. There are some pockets still where it's sparse, but for the most part, there's no shortage of church buildings. There's no shortage of people assembling two, three times a week, usually in the name of Christ. But where are we as a country? And what's going on in those churches? And where is the fire? Where is the power of God? Uh, where is the praying people? Where are the people in the prayer meeting rooms? Where are the people who are not in it to be seen? They're not in it for a name. They're not in it for the dollar. They're in it because God has called them. And they're like that poor young lady who was on the auction block. They've been bought with a price. They've been redeemed. They've been set free. And yet it seems like we're content to go our own way rather than following the one who has purchased us. And Paul sees this as a real problem in the Corinthian church. And we've, we've been looking at this, and I, uh, I don't apologize if I go back and kind of give you a little bit of a preview of, of what we've looked at. Uh, when you compare Romans with, with Corinthians, Romans is about justification and Corinthians is about sanctification. And, and so Paul, having established a church in this seaport city of Corinth, knowing the corruption that is there, and seeing how it has permeated the church there, he's burdened. Now, uh, any pastor knows what it is to carry a burden for his people. Any man worth his salt knows that when you see your people faltering, when you see them falling into discord, that's a grievance to the pastor. Uh, because we rec recognize and realize all of the implications of that and how the enemy creeps in and divides and conquers. And so Paul is burdened down for his, his, his church that he's established, that God has established, I should more properly say, uh, in the Corinthian city. And, and he's, he's addressing this thing still. Notice still he's talking about don't follow men to the point that you become factions. Now, whether we will admit it tonight or not, it is a fact that we are guilty of that very thing in American churches. It's good to have men that we look up to. It's good to have leaders. It's great to have men who have done great things in the past. But we should never focus on the men rather than the master. Very easy for us to have our group that we are like-minded with and we fall in with that group and we follow after that group and they are friends to us, but there is a great body of Christ out there that's not of our stripe. Now, we don't like to admit that, but we're not all going to agree on everything. But I'm troubled when I hear so many Christians trying to find something to disagree about. Well, you don't have to look far. It's easy to find something to disagree about. But we have got all of the common ground in the universe at the foot of the cross. Now, uh, I work with people occasionally and, and they'll say, uh, the one fellow comes to my mind, he's, pray for him. He, he said he's going to come to a meeting that I'll start on Thursday night down close to where I live. And uh, 
He'll, he'll always want me to know that he's a Baptist. He'll say, well, y'all, I'm a Baptist. And then he'll cuss a little bit. And so he probably, probably is, probably is a Baptist. I'm figuring he's right. And, uh, and, and you know, and, and I had another guy came up to me the other day. Uh, and, and, and we were just, just talking about things in general. And he, 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 started, he started telling me about how he's not been in church for a while, you know, and he needs to be and all this. You could tell he was, he was convicted. And I wasn't even talking to him about church, really. We were just talking about things in general. Then the next thing, he said, but now, you know, I'm Pentecostal myself. I said, that's fine. I said, I'm not going to get mad at you. But here's the thing. I don't care what you are. Are you serving Christ? That's the thing. Sure. I don't want to know what label you're wearing. I want to know, are you a servant of God? Are you a servant of the living Christ? I don't know if he means enough to you that you're saying, I'm following Christ. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus. That he is my Lord. He's my master. And if we get that settled, if we get that cemented in our hearts and minds, listen, the rest of it will fall into place. But Paul is troubled, and, and I'm troubled tonight because of the thinking in American churches that we've got to be in somebody's group. Now, and, and I pray that I won't be misunderstood we, we can't help sometimes but fall into groups. We can't help but kind of be, you know, placed here with this particular group of believers. But uh, I was in a meeting several years ago down in Indianapolis, in a large meeting, and, and we were all gathered in the pastor's study there, and it was a large, large study. And uh, I, there were probably, probably 25, 30 men in there before the service to begin to pray. And, and one, one fellow, we had a little time to talk, and one fellow said, Now, you know, he said, I don't... Uh, I don't know. He said, I know, I know what camp you're in. He pointed to one fellow and he said, I know what camp you're in. And he, and he went around the room and he said, I know what camp I think you're in. And he said, I'm still trying to figure out what camp Kaufman is in. And I said, well, brother, and, and I, don't, I, I wasn't trying to sound spiritual, but it would come from my heart. I said, brother, I, I want to be in the Lord's camp. That's, that's where I want to be found. And then I wasn't trying to sound, you know, cocky or arrogant. I, I, I want to be in, don't you want to be in his camp tonight? Wouldn't it be good if we could lay aside some of the things that divide us long enough to just get our eyes firmly fixed back on Him? Now Paul is saying to this group of believers, and I want to constantly remind you, he called them saints in chapter 1. Most troubled church in the New Testament. But he said, you're saints. But he said, I couldn't, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual but I had to speak to you as carnal. Now, if you take the last couple of verses in chapter 2 and the first verse in chapter 3, you'll find that there are three classes of people there. There's the natural man, there's the spiritual man, and then there's the carnal man. Now, that's kind of a controversy in our day. Can there be such an animal as a carnal Christian? And I want to answer that. Yes, there can be. Now, the natural man is the physically alive man who is spiritually dead. And that's man, woman, boy, or girl. You're physically alive, but you're spiritually dead. Now, the Bible says that over in, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 John 5, 12, it says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son hath not life. So... You can be physically alive and spiritually dead. It doesn't say you're waiting to die. It says you're already a goner. Obviously, we're still moving, but we're like the old turtle with its head cut off, and he's still moving his limbs. He's dead. He just doesn't know it yet. 
And there's a lot of people in this world that are like that. They're living dead people. Our, our society is caught up with this, uh, th th this thing of the living dead. You know, that, that, that seems to be the big deal now. And uh, I think it's one of the dumbest things that's come down the pike in a long time personally, but I, that's just me. Uh, and and uh, zombie apocalypse. Uh, all that. Me Listen, I've told my grandson, we'll drive by a cemetery, and I'll tease him a little bit. I said, you want to go out there and sit down for a while, and we'll talk things over? No, I don't believe so, Papa. I said, hey, I want to tell you something. I said, that's one of the safest places in the country right there. I said, you don't have to worry about that crowd. I said, these are still walking around is one you better be afraid of. <laughs> and, and, and so we, we've got this infatuation with zombies, the walking dead. But without Christ, we're all walking dead. Without Christ as Savior, all of us are already spiritually dead. And we may think and breathe and walk and eat and drink, but we are separated from God. And so Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, he said, now, you're saints, but you're not acting like saints. You're not operating the way the saints ought to operate. So the spiritual man, the natural man, and the carnal man. And he says, I have, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. Let me, let me read you something. You don't have to turn there, but over in Hebrews chapter 5, he says, in verse 11, he says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that you're dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Now let me read you something in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Here's what Paul called these people. Wherefore, holy brethren. They're holy brethren in chapter 3 and verse 1, but he also says in chapter 5, you're spiritual babies. So it's possible to be a part of the holy brethren and be so spiritually immature that you're a babe. Now, there's nothing sweeter, there's nothing any more innocent, there's nothing any more lovable than a, than a little baby. There's one back there, and I saw some around the congregation. You know, what a wonder that is to see a newborn babe. But on the other hand, what a tragedy if we came back a year from now and that child hasn't grown any. We would all be deeply moved and concerned and and prayerful, and we would all be probably talking in whispered tones. What a tragedy. That, that little baby hasn't grown any. What's happened? Is, is there a physical problem? Is there, is there some trouble with the digestion? Is, there, is the baby eating? Is, does it have an appetite? I mean, any parent would look at that and say, we've got to get this child to a doctor. My second grandson, when he was born, had problems uh, digesting his milk and, and, and they went through a process there. He, he was literally, he was starving while he was eating. But what he was eating was going against what he needed. And they finally had to get that adjusted to find out what the problem was and, and then man he began to come out of it. So there's a lot of analogies we could draw out of that and, and I don't want to bore you and I don't want to spend too much time on this particular thing. 
But there are lots of people who are spiritually alive and yet they are spiritually stunted. They're not growing in the Lord. Milk is a pre-digested food. Milk is something that you don't have to chew. It's, it's pre-digested. It's ready to enter into your system. It goes in as a liquid and your, your stomach absorbs it and, and it's just easy. And you bring the babe home from the hospital and that's the desire they have for the mother's milk. But then it's not long until that doesn't satisfy. Now I was, I was uh, a dad back during the days before, you know, Dr. Spock stuff all caught on and, and uh, before some of the modern stuff happened. And I know, now that I don't recommend you do this, they say don't give a kid K-Ro syrup, you know. Uh, but, but my boy, my firstborn, when he come into this world, he wasn't on milk long until that stuff didn't do him. I mean, I'm telling you, he'd wake up and that boy was hungry. And, uh, and I mean, he was so hungry, you know, we'd have the cereal, the little cereal you'd mix up. And, and he wanted that. And, and so my wife and I, you know, were just dead dog tired and we'd wake up and he'd be, he'd be fidgeting and it wouldn't be long, man. He's just like an alarm. He's going to get louder and louder and louder. And so I kept a bottle of Cairo syrup on the headboard of the bed and I would take his pacifier and while she was fixing the cereal, I would dip that pacifier down in the Cairo syrup and plug him up with it and it worked. And he liked it. And I don't know whether he still likes it or not, but, but here's the thing. You know what was happening with him? He was growing. He was maturing. His body was processing that milk, but it wasn't long until that didn't do it for him. I got to have something else. I got to have something more substantial. I need something that'll stay with me. I need something that'll get me through the day at least an hour or two. There are too many in the church, in the body of Christ, that always depend on the pastor to give them what they need. You can't get everything you need on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. There's not a soul here that is spiritual enough, godly enough, walking close enough that you can get it all from the pulpit three times a week. You've got to have some time in the Word yourself. And I'm telling you tonight, church, that is the missing element in many people's lives. I've never seen it to fail when I talk to someone and they're in a tragic situation and their life is slipping away and they're grasping for straws and I ask them this question, are you doing two things? Are you reading your Bible and are you praying? And I have yet to ever have anybody in real deep spiritual trouble to answer that in the affirmative. Yes. No, preacher... I hate to say it, but no, I've let my Bible reading slip. And I know it's been a while since I've really prayed. There's nobody here tonight that is so strong that you don't need personal time with God. Every day you need time in the book. You don't have to become a theologian. You don't have to become a Bible scholar. But you've got to be a student of the Word. Every child of God ought to have these two marks. You ought to have a student's mind and a servant's heart. You ought to always be wanting more from the things that, listen, don't you remember some of you when you were first saved and you were just thrilled and you could not get over what God had done for you and you wanted to be in church and you wanted to read your Bible and you know what you did? You were asking questions constantly. You were like a little four-year-old. Why is the sky blue? Why are fish in the water? Why is the grass green? How come you did this? How Everything was a question to you. You marveled at that. What happened to us? 
Did we lose the wonder of salvation? Did we lose the wonder of the grace of God that brought salvation in our heart? Have we gotten to the place now that we don't need all of that, that it's old hat, that that stuff is outdated, it's outmoded? We don't need that. We've got more now. We've got the Internet. We've got TV. We've got it all. But we're void and lacking for the power of God. Our families are going to hell. Our neighbors are going to hell. Our children, some of them are going to hell. And we don't have the power in prayer to pray them in. We're not praying down real Holy Ghost revival. We're not praying down a move of God that cannot be explained except but by God. If there's anything going on in your life and you look at it and you say, that's what I did, you remember Abraham pointed at Ishmael and that's what he said about him. That's what I did. But he looked at Isaac and he said, man, that guy right there, he's a miracle from God. When all hope was gone, there was no way in the world that Sarah and I could ever have had a child. That's when God gave us this little boy. And this one here is the one that came along, right, when God wanted him to come along, when it looked like it was an absolute impossibility. We're lacking that tonight, church, in modern-day America. We can do it. We can make it happen. We can produce it. We can program it. We can buy it. We can purchase it. We can push it down the road. I love what old Major Ian Thomas used to say. He said, a river doesn't have to be pushed. It'll cut its own channel as it goes. A river goes along and it flows along and it makes its channel. And the Spirit of God should be allowing the church of God to go along and flow along. And empowered by the Spirit of God, we should be attracting others to Christ. It's not something that we can necessarily always learn in the classroom. But it's not enough tonight, church, just to be saved. Do you know that? I think this is a tragedy that a lot of people have in their heart. Well, you know, at least I'm not going to hell. Well, that's good. But do you really want to stand before the one that redeemed you by his own life's blood and say you didn't care any more about his redemption than to just say, well, I just wanted to get out of hell. I wasn't really interested in doing anything for you, Lord. I wasn't really interested in being a student of the book. I mean, I didn't want to study Habakkuk. I mean, I, wasn't, I didn't get that saved. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm curious about Revelation. I'm curious about Daniel. I, I'm curious about prophecy. But I, you know, I don't want to become a fanatic. Well, I, I think of a story that Alan Redpath told. Uh, I listened to a message on tape. I, I got a hold of a CD that had a bunch of his old messages, and they were wonderful to me, and Alan Redpath was a, a, a British fella, and he was a banker, and uh, he got saved as a young man. And the Lord began to deal with his heart about, about what he needed to do. He was beginning to grow in the Lord. And uh, he, he, was, he was, like most of us, he was kind of trying to ignore it, trying to get away from it, trying to go on as a businessman, trying to get his way in the world. And one night he rode a train to a ball game. He was a great, uh, a great fan of the sporting events in that day. And he'd rode a train to another town there, and he was watching this ball game. And, and he said just uh, out of the blue, there was a fellow, an acquaintance, an old uh, preacher or, or maybe just a fellow in the church. I'm not even sure that he was a preacher, but a man who knew Redpath. And he, he saw him in the crowd, and he walked up to him, and, and this is all that he said to him. He said he looked at him and he said, Redpath, do you know that it's possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life? Yeah. And he turned and walked away. 
That's all he said to him. You know it's possible to have a saved soul and a wasted life? And he said, man, I couldn't get away from that. He said, it hit me like a truck. And he said, the ball game was soon over. He said, I got back on the train that night. We started back to his town. And he said, the clack of those wheels was saying, save soul, wasted life, save soul, wasted life, save soul, wasted life. And that hounded red path until he had to get down on his knees before God and say, Lord, I'm yours, lock, stock, and barrel. Whatever you want, Lord, I want to be yours. I want to be your servant, Lord. I want to grow in Christ. I wonder if everybody here has come to that, and I doubt it. Now, I love you, church. I love you. This is one of the greatest churches that I, that I have the privilege of getting into, I believe, as far as the spiritual nourishment that you receive and, and your heart for missions, your giving. But are you growing in the Lord personally? You say, our church is doing good. You are the church. And this church is only as strong as the weakest Christian in it. I read a statement to tell you how far we've drifted by a lady that um, her name escapes me right at the minute, but uh, I think it was Rosaria Butterfield. I'm not sure that that's the one. But anyway, a lady made this statement. She said, you only really love God as much as you love the person you love the least. Oh, boy. You only really love God as much as you love the person that you love the least. That, that hurts, doesn't it? That hurts. Because we all know there's a lot of people out there that are just not very likable, much less lovable. So what are we going to do with that? What if Christ had said, well, I'm just going to love the lovable? There'd been plenty of room in heaven, wouldn't there? Now, Paul is burdened about this. At the church... This is not anything. I, I'm, I'm giving you nothing new. This is stuff you've heard over and over. This is Christianity 101, but we're going to have to get back to it. Right. We, we want to we figure out all of the intricacies of, of eschatological uh, doctrine and all the things that are going to happen in Revelation. and, and all that. That's okay. That's okay. But I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of it that nobody really knows for sure. Does that shock you? We can have our ideas, we can have our opinions, we can think it's going to be this way, and that's okay. But listen, it's like a young man came to me, and, and this fella, I don't want to say too much here, I know we're being recorded, uh, but a, a young, young preacher came to me a few years back, and he, he would ask me, he would ask me some theological thing, Pastor. He'd ask me some, you've had them, young guys come to you and ask you some theological question. And I thought at first he was sincere and wanted to learn, and so I would really take time, and, and I, would, I would try to, as best I could, try to tell him what I thought it meant, you know, and I, and I would always try to season it with this. Now, I could be wrong, but the, the best I can understand, the best I can find out, this is what I think it means. But you know what? It wasn't long after about a year or so of that, he'd keep coming back to me. And I found out that he, he didn't want to know really what it said at all. He just wanted, he wanted some fodder for his cannon to argue with. He just wanted an argument from somebody. And word got back to me that he'd say, well, you know, Kaufman said this and this and this. And I believe this and this and this. And they would get into these discussions, you know, and these theological arguments. And one day he came to me and he asked me about an obscure Old Testament prophet. And he said, what do you, th what do you think that means? I said, I don't know. He said, you don't know? 
I said, I don't know. I said, I, it, it's some messianic prophecy. It has to do with Christ coming in the New Testament. But I said, I want to ask you something. I said, why would you get so troubled over something that people have looked at for ages and have never really unraveled that puzzle when there are some clear teachings in Scripture that me or you either one are doing we're well with? See, we, we need to get back to the old 101 Christianity that we are lost and undone without a Savior, without God, and without hope. And we need a Savior, and there's only one. And that's Christ, and we should not dip our colors, and we should not apologize that Christ alone is the Savior. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's, there's too much soft pedaling when it comes to that in our day, too much tiptoeing through the tulips, too, too much kind of scanning around the issue instead of just saying, you know what, this is hard for the human heart to accept, but all of us are lost without God until Christ invades our hearts and brings us to conviction and makes us aware that we need a Savior. Amen. See, the, the problem is tonight when the song, the, the song Bow the Knee, the problem is most people... Most people are offended at that. Not us. We love that because the Lord has saved us, redeemed us, and give us a spiritual ear. But the world is offended by that. Bow the knee. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to bow the knee. That's what most of the world will say. I, I had a fellow told me one time, a, a businessman, he said, you know, I don't, uh, he said, heaven don't appeal to me that much. I said, why not? He said, all that bowing and praising stuff. He said, that don't, that don't appeal to me. Well, I got news for him. He's going to bow. He's going to bow. And he's going to praise. Even the old crooked knee of the devil himself will bow on that day. And every tongue of every being in the universe will cry out in unison that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So even the devil will praise the Lord in that day, whether he wants to or not, because, listen, he's not sovereign over God. God is. And understand with me tonight, church, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And here's the issue. Paul is addressing this in chapter 3. Are we growing in Christ? And, and you're the only one that can answer that. I have to struggle with this constantly. I, I, I don't want to get... I don't want to get professional in preaching. Uh, I don't know where I've told you this or not, but I, I don't think it, it probably happened since I was up here. Uh, my son, who's grown now and, and has children of his own, uh, came to me one day, and I was getting ready for a meeting, and, and he asked me to go somewhere with him. And I said, son, I, I said, I would love to, but I said, man, I can't today. I, he said, how come? I said, man, I've got to get in the book. I said, I've got to spend some time in the Word and with the Lord. I said, I said I've got this meeting that starts tomorrow night, and I, I said, I just... I've got to spend some time in the book. And, and he said this in jest, but he said, Dad, if I'd been preaching as long as you have, he said, I could make something up. And you know what? I said, you know what? That's true. I could make something up. I could just preach something that came easy. I could pull something out that seems to have been used of the Lord somewhere along the way. But is that what God wants? Because, see, this thing's not about me appearing good. It's not about me sounding good. It's not about me having the accolades. The thing is, are you hearing the message that God has for you this week? The, the, thing, the thing is, are, are you 
Are you growing in your appetite for the things of God? Do you, do you have the desire you had when God first saved you? Do, do you have that inquiring mind to say, what, what is this about? And, and let, let's quickly read on because I'm going to run out of time. I already almost am. He says, he keeps reiterating that, that don't get caught up in me or Apollos or Cephas. Verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. We, we know what the foundation is, right? The foundation is our Lord. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, we've got the six, six building materials, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. Now, we've, we've heard that, we've read that, we've studied that, pastors have preached that, evangelists have preached that. And, and, and we think we got it, but I don't think we do. I think somehow or another we're missing it. I, I don't think it's because it's some secret code. I think it's just because we're just not willing to get what he's saying here. There can't be another foundation except Christ. And we've got to get that settled. And I think most of us, if not all of us here tonight, would agree with that. But the world doesn't agree with that. The world says there are multiple ways to God. You talk to the average person on the job, they think that the way of Buddha is as well as the way of Christ. They think that the way of Krishna is as good as the way of Christ. They think that the way of atheism is as good as the way of Christ. They think that all roads are finally going to lead to God. And it's just not true. It's, it's ridiculous to think that as, as much as it would be. You know, I'm teased a lot, and I don't mind it, about being from a place called Button Knob. And, uh, and, and, and Mike Corser, he's, he was telling his friend that came with him tonight, and I'm so glad he's here, that, that I told here one time about a friend of mine that came to me and visited me, and he said, he said, how did you find this place? I said, I didn't find it. I was born here. He said, well, I'm going to tell you something. He said, if anybody ever comes by and knocks on your door and said, hey, I was just passing through, Dwight. I thought I'd stop. See, he said, they're lying. You don't pass through here. you you got to you got to intend to come here. But, but, but you know, he, to, 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 know, to know tonight that a foundation has got to be laid. If I were to say, you know, from Button Knob, from Jackson there, you say, how do, how do you get there? I'd say, all roads lead to Button Knob. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? I mean, everybody would know that I'm ready for the loony bin. If I say, you know what, just, I don't know, just, just go down here and take the first row. It looks good. I mean, 127's close. Just, just hit that. Which way do I go? I, whichever way you want to go. Whichever way feels good to you. Well, where do I go from there? It doesn't matter. All roads will take you to button up. That'd be ridiculous. But listen, how much more ludicrous is it for people to say all roads lead to heaven? All roads lead to hell except Christ. Except the way of the cross. That's the only road that leads to heaven. But, but see, he says, I've laid that foundation. Now, if you build on that. Now, here's the thing I want to leave you with. Everybody is building on the foundation. I think Paul is talking corporately here. I think he's talking about the body. I think he says, be careful how you build. Be careful how you put a structure up on the foundation that is Christ. See, works don't save us. But salvation will bring us to work. And, and it brings us to the place that we have a desire to glorify our Lord. Now, the gold, silver, precious stones are all three found where? Under the ground. 
They're all under the ground. They're, they're not just laying out normally. You don't just go out and say, hey, man, there's a gold nugget. Hey, there's a piece of silver. Hey, I saw, saw a diamond laying that. And that rarely might happen, but for the most part, these are found under the ground. Now, now the other three things, wood, hay, and stubble, you can find that stuff laying around anywhere, can't you? You just walk out into the field, walk out into a little thicket of wood somewhere, and there will be some wood, and there will be some old dead grass, and there will be some stubble stuck up there. I mean, that's easy to find. You can gather that stuff anywhere. But if you find gold, silver, precious stones, you're probably going to have to dig for it. If you grow in your Christian life, you're going to have to put some effort into it. You're not going to be able to just feed off of the preacher. You're not going to be able to just feed off the internet. You're not going to be able to just feed off a of mom and dad or off a of son and daughter or the neighbor. There's going to have to be time and effort spent yourself personally studying the Bible, praying and digging and seeking after the Lord. Now, if we could put that into perspective tonight just for a minute, we could think about if you had $10 worth of straw, over here and over here you had a $10 gold piece. Would there be any difference in the stack? Any difference in the size? Well, you'd have a big old stack of straw probably for $10, pretty significant patch of straw over here. But a $10 gold piece, man, wouldn't be very big, would it? What, what if you could take a diamond and buy straw with that diamond? How much straw would that buy? Man, it'd buy probably wagon loads, truck loads of straw. And you could just slip the diamond in your pocket and be gone with it. You see? Here's the point. The world is impressed with quantity. And God's calling for quality. In the Philippine Islands, some of the European countries, even here in America, you can go into some of the cities and you can see great structures. One of the poorest states in our nation is West Virginia, and I've preached down around the Charleston area a lot. And if you drive by on I-64 going through Charleston, you look off over there to the right, and you'll see the Capitol building. And do you know that Capitol building is done in gold leaf? It's beautiful. Beautiful. But I always feel like that's a little ironic. Here, here's, a, here's a state, you know, that, like Kentucky, they're not the richest bunch. But their Capitol dome is done in gold leaf. Now, you can drive outside of town, whether it be in this part of the country or the Philippines or, or down in my neck of the woods, and, and you can get out of town and get away from those nice buildings, and you can find some shanties. You, you, you can find some, some tin structures. You can find some, some places that people are living in that we wouldn't use even as, a, as just an outbuilding. But what happens? We've just seen this in a flood. What happens when the storm comes? What happens when the flood? But, but, but let's get beyond that. What happens when the fire sweeps through? And those cardboard or, 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 or metal buildings just kind of stuck up together there, all of a sudden there's nothing left. It's just desolation. But those buildings that have the marble and the gold, those buildings that have the stone, those buildings that have something significant, they would stand the test. Now, church, I don't think there's anything more sobering that we can think about tonight than one day we stand before the great judgment seat of the Lord Jesus and we give an account of the deeds done in the body. The Bible says that the day shall declare it. It says it will be tried by fire. Hebrews 12, 29 says, For our God 
is a consuming fire. Now, don't think, don't mistake that, that you're going to go through some judgment for sins. It's not that. All of our sins were taken care of on the cross. If they were not, we're all in trouble tonight. All my sins are gone tonight. Hallelujah. Buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness, never to be remembered anymore, never to be brought up, never to be dug out. All of my sins are gone, and I thank God for that tonight, and I'll be glad to get a glorified voice one day to be able to praise him like he needs to be praised. But on that day when we give an account of the deeds done in the body, our stewardship, what have we done with the gospel? What have we done with salvation? What have we done with Christ? What are you doing with him? Is church just something we do? For a lot of people it is. I put a little thing on Facebook not long ago and I got about three likes on it. I said, I know a lot of people that don't cuss, but their attitude sure does. I do. I do. I know people that wouldn't use foul language at all, but man, their attitude cusses. Woo. Foul, sour, hard, hateful, mean-spirited. I saw a bumper sticker on a car not long ago that convicted me, and I hope it does you. Caught my eye in traffic, and I looked at it, and I thought, what does that say? And I got close enough, and it said, oh, Lord. Deliver me from your disciples. Oh, Lord, deliver me from your disciples. Is that what we've come to, America? Is that, is that, is that, is that where we are? Now, I know we get all upset because, you know, the liberal crowd's doing all this goofy stuff and we see a lot of things happening that irritate us as it should. But listen, the, the lost world is always going to think like the lost world. But God's people are different. Supposed to be. God, God's people have the greatest message in all of the universe, the good news of the gospel. And we don't have to be theologians to get that across. You can just say, you know what? Jesus died for me. Charles Spurgeon, the great London preacher, said that his Theology could be summed up in four words. Christ died for me. I love that. You, you, you can tell anybody that. Well, what do you believe? I believe that Christ died for me. That's what I believe. Several years ago, I was at a church and, and, and pastoring there, and we'd been doing some work and some renovation, and a fellow was on the construction crew that was there helping, and I pulled up in the middle of the morning, and, and uh, he, he'd come over to meet me. I'd never laid eyes on this guy. And he said, uh, he said, hey, you the pastor here? I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, what do you all preach here at this church? What well, took me off guard? Just, I, I never had anybody just to hit me like that. He said, I, what do you all preach here at this church? I said, well, sir. I said, we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. And he, he said, well, I guess that'll work. And he went back to work. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what he was after. I don't know what he was looking for. I guess he was looking for an argument, you know. And, and, but but that's, that's what a church ought to preach, isn't it? Yes. I mean, that, that ought to kind of encapsulate everything that we believe. Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. Once we get that, let's do something with it, church. Don't just depend on this church to be missionary-minded. You need to be missionary-minded. I'm going to say this and step out in deep water just for a minute before I'm done tonight. But listen. If we don't do something with this country, we've had it. 
I love foreign missions. But there is a lack of concern about United States missions. I know this as an evangelist. I'm, I'm looking to go into a full-time job. And I'm not saying that for anything other than there is just... There, I talked to Brother Aaron on the phone some months back and, and about his burden. I said, Brother, it is tough. 20 years ago, I was booked up. 20 years ago, if you wanted a good date, you'd have to look down the road maybe a couple of years. Right now, listen, there's no interest. There's no interest. Little pockets here and there. But our society has, we've, we've corroded to the point that, and, and the church is guilty of some of this. We've allowed the Corinthian thinking to in, influence our thinking, and now we think like the Corinthians, and as a result of that, we're not seeing much done to stir us and to bring us back to the cross. We don't have time for that. We got ball games to go to. We got kids to raise. We got work to do. We got money to make. We gotta, we gotta make money so we can send some over here and we gotta send some over there. And our country is literally going to hell right under our nose. And the church is the only hope for America. It's not in the politicians, it's in people's hearts just like this. If you'll let me read you one thing, this speaks to my heart and I, I'm done. And I, I looked this up this afternoon because I thought it, it went along. Paul's talking about the building here. And, and I could say a lot about going down. And they sang about that, going down before we start up. But I, I came across this somewhere, and, and it spoke to me. As I watched them tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town, with a whole heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the side wall fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled and the men you'd hire if you wanted to build? He gave a laugh and said, well, no indeed. Just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks to town content with the labor of tearing down? Oh, Lord, let my life and my labors be that which will build for eternity. People are not going to care how much money you made. They're not going to care really what size church you went to. When you stand before the Lord Jesus, what kind of steward have I been? Let's pray. You stand with me, please. Father, in these simple thoughts, Lord, simple Christianity 101 thoughts, please, O oh Lord, grip hearts tonight. Lord, impact me with the truths that we've been preaching. Lord, it seems that the church in this country has been lulled to sleep. We've, we've listened, Lord, to the siren songs, and it's caused us to drift, Lord, so far off course that we're crying out, Lord, tonight that you will rescue us. Lord, we have become so Corinthian-minded that 
seems like it's a hard thing for us to think biblically anymore. It's easy, Lord, for us to divide and tear down, but building is a hard matter. It's easy, Lord, to throw up great heaps of wood, hay, and stubble in our individual lives and our corporate lives as a church. And we pile up these great mounds, Lord, of wood, hay, and stubble in the world, and even some of the church folks are in awe at what we're doing. But the gold and the silver and the precious stones, Lord, are rare and few. And Lord, the buildings in America that have been founded on the foundation of Christ that are sparkling, Lord, for your glory are too rare. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you will give some man victory maybe over his fight with pornography. I pray, Lord, you'll give some dear lady victory over a gossiping tongue. Give us, Lord, victory over our lack of faith. Give us victory, Lord, in the many areas that we are chained and bound and weak and fruitless. Oh, God, tonight, we cry out on behalf of this nation that has stood so long and so strong and has sent so many missionaries, Lord, around the globe. And now tonight, we are in danger, Lord, ourselves of falling to the very depths of hell. Save us, Lord, from ourselves. Save us, Lord, from worldly thinking. Save us from being Corinthian Christians. We pray in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.